and welcome back to the Inner Call Podcast. This is the podcast to help you connect to your own inner truth, your own inner knowing, your intuition. I'm here to help educate you as to how to hear that intuition, how to trust it, how to bring it more and more and more into your life. And I'd like to bring guests that are actively doing that, but are walking the talk, so to speak. Nadia Carta is one of those people. I had her on for the part one of this interview last week. So if you didn't catch part one, I would suggest you go back and listen to last week's episode. And this week we continue the conversation. Part two. I really enjoy talking to Nadia. She is a breath of fresh air. She's a Google exec, but she is also a TEDx speaker. She is an inspiring coach. She helps people on their career path. I often tell people that the intuition information is out there, like it is not your job to create the information. It is only your job to be the receiver of it. And when we receive the infinite amount of information available to us, we set a subconscious preset, if you will. We're saying like, this is the information I care about. And in your life, that might be relationships. In your life, that might be safety, right? If you are someone who really fears the world, it's very likely you only get intuitive information about things that are scary or quote unquote bad. But your subconscious preset can also be around career. And I would say Nadia is a very good example of this. She has a lot of examples of intuition, helping her achieve that dream of being a Google exec, of helping other people. And then she helps others connect to career as a place of purpose, as a place of mission. And so I think this conversation is particularly interesting for you if you're wanting to live an aligned life and participate in a career in this lifetime that is meaningful and deep and that requires that special kind of alignment. So enjoy. I hope that it helps you connect more to your intuition. I know it will. And I hope that you are trusting your intuition more and more each day. Keep listening to keep strengthening and I will see you back next week. Can I ask you then, do you watch the news or do you? No. That's a very good question. I don't watch the news. I selectively get the information that I need to be aware of from sources. You know, maybe I I read the headlines in the New York Times or I would read the headlines of Google News, but I absolutely stopped watching the news mid-2020 during COVID. I stopped watching the news. I don't buy uh, newspapers. The only thing that I'm consumed on television are either shows that are very funny uh, or uh, shows that are, you know, entertaining or that make me laugh and oh, they are very light. I watch Bridgerton. Love Bridgerton. I mean, it's so <laughs> it's fascinating. I read a lot of history books because I feel that we humans can learn from things that happened. I read some futuristic books because I'm interested in, you know, Noah Yuavari and others, but I don't absolutely watch the news. And when I walk into someone else's face and I see that they're watching the news, I say, how watching the news is helping you in your life right now? I was curious because I also don't watch the news. But in the beginning, when I made that decision, I actually found myself in deep conflict as to should I be informed and to what degree do I 
let go of being informed in favor of being able to hold that optimism and that positivity. I've done a lot of what you've done. And I think also it's such an important conversation for anyone listening, because I feel like a lot of people struggle with that. It's like, I want to make a difference. I want to know what's going on. But the minute that I watch, I've lost the plot because it's overwhelming and it's too much and I can't change it and da, 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 da. So I, I love that. Do you find that you have in the area of, of women's rights, in the area of women's health, in where you feel like you should have the information, are there then like pockets of resources that you kind of go to directly? Is it people? Is it sources? Like, how do you feel like you do stay in touch with that, that up-to-date information? I mean, look, I am of the belief that when an information is to reach you, it will reach you. Mm. Last year, when all all happened around abortion and all of the news about women bodies got me so upset. I was so, 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 so angry. I I joined a lot of manifestations and meetings and protests and all of that. It made me so deeply and horribly upset. And, you know, working from, for Google, I have access to information very easily. There's a zillion of threads. And I mean, of course, I'm on social media. And so it's not that I decided to live on a cave or completely isolate myself. But there's a difference between reading the headline of what's going on in the world, like what happened in Hawaii last week that was horrible. Like I am connected to what's going on, right? But there's a difference between knowing what's going on and dwelling into the events. If we think about it, and and again, I mean, I'm in the media industry myself, and so I understand, and then people want to know and all of it, but what's the point in watching Two hours deep dive on what is happening in a given country. I mean, or or a crime or, you know what I mean? It won't help me. Like, unless I'm in that field of operation that maybe a work decision needs to be taken out of those facts. For me personally, that, that doesn't have any impact on my life. Now, I believe that information should be out there. I'm not saying and I'm not urging people to stop watching the news and all that. But I think that, and and I believe in freedom of speech and uh, with respect, of course, I, I don't believe in hatred and violence. I think that, especially during COVID, we, like the news were making us more sick, to be honest. Because those news were constantly, con- like the panic, oh my God, we won't be able to go out. Oh my God, this could go worse, the trend. And then it might not even happen. I saw such a dramatic difference between Italy and America. In Italy, the news were nonstop. We couldn't get out of our houses. We couldn't even go for a walk. It was terrible. Then we arrived here in New York where people were always able to go to the park, people were always able to take some fresh air and et cetera. And we were okay anyways. Now, I recognize that this is a polarizing conversation and people might think that I'm crazy or whatever, but I feel that at one point in life, you need to take account of how your mental 
else is impacted by the content that you are consuming. Those are books, those are magazines, those are friends that are telling you things, and those are TVs, TV shows. I am very sensitive, for example. I had to accept that I'm a sensitive person. I cannot watch a horror movie. I'm still traumatized from, I think I was 12 or 13. Somehow I was exposed to Hannibal Lecter, and I didn't sleep for 20 years. <laughs> I, I, you know, it generated me so much disturbance. Or I think another night I saw a, a, a glimpse of it, the the clown moving. Jesus, traumatized. So I am sensitive. Like there are people that can go and see horror shows and not be bothered by it. I cannot sleep for months. I decided, I was watching Game of Thrones and I think there was a scene that for me was too much and it bothered me for weeks. <laughs> so I had to do a favor to myself and I had to recognize and make a service that I cannot consume certain content because my brain spins. It reminds me of what, when I work with students, because I, I teach intuition as well, and there's a certain group of people who will tell me, I'm intuitive, but only about the bad things. Like, And then they start to really hate their intuition or be afraid of it because they'll know if someone's passing or they'll know if someone's going to get a divorce or something bad will happen, they'll know it. But I really believe that it's based off of largely the material they're consuming and where their subconscious dial is set. Like if you're kind of set to the tone of the pessimism, you're also setting an awareness in your energy field, in your mind to say, that's important. Like that's the thing I should be paying attention to. Whereas if you're optimizing for the solution or the answer, I think that's where you're gonna, that's where you're going to go. So I also really love what you told your friend, which is, okay, great. Like you're that pessimistic. What are you going to go do about it? Right. Are you going to go run for office? Like, what's, what's the solution? Where are you pointing your subconscious? I think it's a really interesting conversation. Oh, my God. Well, they say that action goes where attention goes. And again, neuroscientific evidence, the more you think about something, the more your brain is going to go there. I was listening. What is his name? Joe Despienza. He went on a show with Stephen Bartlett on the Diaries of CEO. And the title was very catchy because the title says, can your thoughts make you sick? And, and I was getting my lash service and it's typically very long and the episode is two hours. And I said, okay, I'm going to listen to this today. And that's where, that's how Jotas Vienza starts. He says, your thoughts can either heal you or can make you sick. And I tested it all my life that if I say, Today, I am going to have a problem in the office or today I'm going to be so tired or whatever you repeat to yourself. Eventually, that's the reality you're painting because that's how our brains are functioning. There's now so much evidence that say that our brain cannot distinguish between the fantasy of our thoughts and the reality that we're actually experiencing. I mean, fascinating. Again, I would love to get a PhD in all those materials. And so if that is true, we, like our thoughts are truly the most powerful things we have. And one of the reasons why I'm very attracted by energetical work and, and, you know, Ricky and all that we do in meditation and all of that stuff, we know now that our brains are neuroplastic. There is the neuroplasticity element on it. 
And then if we sit in meditation and if we use a mindfulness approach to our life, we can heal our brains. And so, again, going back to the news and going back to the content that we're consuming, the moment we realize that our brain goes into the content that we're seeing, it can be either a recipe for success or a recipe for disaster. So it depends on how people decide to want to live their life. Like I took a very firm, very Virgo type of decision in my life, which is I only want to be bothered with things that are going to make me happy, that are aligned with my purpose, and that are going to generate more wealth and success for me and those around me. My life is way too short. I'm I'm hoping and putting in the universe that I want to live until I'm 100 years and healthy, in shape and all of it. I don't have time to waste. Yeah. And I don't think anybody does. I, I want to touch on that because I, I really see you as someone who lives what you speak. I mean, if you even consider it, Sardinia, I looked it up, it has twice as many sheep as it has people. So you're going from the lowest population per one meter or foot, I suppose, in Italy to the most densely populated space of Manhattan in one lifetime. That's a complete, probably like percentage wise, very low chance of happening, right? Very low chance of happening. And so you've already proved it. I mean, to yourself, to the world, really, that like this sense of willpower, manifestation, energetical alignment, you know, because I don't think willpower can get you there on its own, has like catapulted you into a completely different reality. Like you've, you've reshaped your life. And it, it, in your world now, not only do you work at Google, but you also coach people. And so when you are helping someone understand the power of that, that it is absolutely possible, no matter where you are starting, to end up in a completely different place. What do you feel like is the key message or the, the thing that you feel you really tapped into, maybe subconsciously, you didn't even know you were tapping into it, but that you feel you see people do, I guess, wrong or like differently? Yeah, maybe. that's a very good question because I was recently in another show and they asked me a similar question and I also do a lot of public events, like public speaking. Last February, I spoke in a college to 200 students with my, you know, Spark Your Zeal story. And it's fascinating because I always thought that I was escaping from something. Uh, The narrative that I had made in my head is that I was able to do all that I did because I wanted to escape from my upbringing and from the situation that I was in. And so I was like, okay, I was surely escaping. And then someone heard my speech and and they approached me and they said, they said, Nadia, what would you say that sparked your zeal when you were 18 and that enabled you to leave? Because my whole narrative is spark your zeal. You know, I've wrote a program about it. You know, there's a whole thing in there. And they're like, what would you say that sparked your zeal at the very beginning? And that question made me think. Because this is now when I'm with my clients in my practice, but also 
when I'm writing my books, when I'm with my daughters, when I'm with my team at Google and all of it. And I came to the conclusion, so this will feel very woo-woo, but I came to the conclusion that it's all about love. Like even before the willpower, even before the confidence, even before the desire of creating great things. Like I love money, for example. I It's one of the things that I like the most, right? Like making money, spending money, generating money for me, for others. It's one of those energetical things that I really like. But it all starts with love. And it's interesting because, you know, again, I said I lost my mom 10 years ago. And when I was writing my memoir, it gave me an opportunity to reflect on my upbringing, the way I was loved probably was not the one that I wanted to be loved. And so I realized that all my life has been a quest for love. And on Monday, I was, I I said I was in this medium session was my first time that I went to a medium session. And already last year, Last June, I did a esoteric meditation where my mom came into the meditation and she said, I love you. And she even said, you are loved. And then what happened is that you are loved and I am loved became two of my most powerful mantras that when I'm in a hard time, when I'm really anxious, I repeat, I am loved and you are loved. And even at work, I was facing a lot of issues, professionally speaking, because of the recognition. I was not feeling recognized and all of that. And recognition, again, is about love. And then Monday, when I was with the medium, I experienced a huge shift because I was in the in the, in the meditation and in, in my vision. And my spirit guide came. And in this specific moment, I believe it was my mom, but I'm not certain. And while I was conversing with them in this vision, I said, not only I am loved, but I am love. And this for me was an incredible shift because I went from I am loved, and so the power is on someone else loving me, to I am love. And so I am now certain that I am love, and I represent love wherever I go, because even when I see people messaging me, it's been fascinating. You know, people started sending me gifts at home, People send me beautiful messages on Instagram on how even see me gives them energy to move forward. And then when I when they read my output, so I came to the conclusion that number one, I am love. And number two, I have been brought into this planet with a specific mission. And the reason why I arrived in New York is because to accomplish my mission and my purpose, I need to be in a place where I have access, I have scale, and I can put my message out or in the world 
so that we continue to transform both our lives, but also corporations, that when we do business with, with purpose, we do business with grace, and when we are love, if we all would decide to become love, we would be in a much better place. So this is 40, 41 years of unpeeling, but more will come, I'm pretty sure. But whenever I am in despair, you know, this thought really keeps me alive. Might be a little bit of a personal question, but I think it's really beautiful. It sounds like the the love that you felt from your mom in the time that she's been passed while you express it, it also makes me wonder because I had listened to your TED talk where you, when you decided to leave the church, the Jehovah's Witness, that your mom didn't speak to you for a, a whole year. And I wonder what that looks like in terms of forgiveness, because it sounds like you guys came back together, but I imagine that wasn't easy and that took, that takes a lot of love. Yeah, it's interesting you're asking this question because, oh my God, I was talking about this with someone else. I feel that I have a better relationship with my mom now than when she was alive. <laughs> this is, it's kind of crazy because, I mean, of course I wish to hold her and I wish we could be together in our human bodies and all of that. But I feel that I have such a better relationship with her now because... Well, I did my own healing and I forgave her for all that happened. And I, like one of the biggest unpacking for me in therapy was that she didn't know any better. And it's fascinating because sadly, I believe that a lot of her sicknesses were caused by how her brain was unable to process all of the things that were happening in her life. Like I, I feel extremely privileged because I was able to heal myself. I was able to find the strength to go to therapy and, and get help and embrace my own transformation journey. Like I feel extremely lucky. I wonder what would have happened if I would not have those privileges. Right. And so she didn't have those privileges. She ended up probably in, in wrong situation and a lot of wrong things. And since I did a TED Talk, actually I should do a revised TED Talk to revise that one because even in the three years that passed, I feel such a different person. I feel that I am extremely healed. And right now, anger doesn't have a space anymore in my body. I was very angry still with a lot of my family members, my dad, so many people, right, for a lot of things that happened. And and now, today, like, anger truly doesn't have a space anymore. Now, I'm not saying that I'm the perfect Zen monk, right? I still get upset. I still get frustrated. This morning, I lost it with my daughters because I was a little, you know, uh, all of over course. the place. Yeah. So I'm human. I'm not saying that I'm not, you know, and, and people that know me would say, oh my God, you are very human. But at the same time, I took an active decision to, if something happens, process it in the moment and not hold into those energies and move on. 
If I'm angry at something, can I change it? Yes. Then I go and address it. Can I not changing that? I let go. So I did a lot of self-healing of those patterns and, and rewiring of my thoughts because I'm like, okay, staying angry is not going to help me. And I have moments in my life where being angry didn't help. And I'm like, what would be a better scenario? Oh, I can let it go, <laughs> right? And so I did a lot of work in how to let go, how to let go faster. And look, it takes intention. Here's my biggest message to whomever is listening to this podcast. It takes so much intention. I'm coming and speaking about this work after probably three years of intense daily practices. I journal every day. I meditate every day. When I catch my thoughts going in the wrong place, every time I take them back, it's You know, if you want to transform and you want to become the better version of yourself, you have to put the hard work in. I go to therapy every month. I see my coaches twice a week. It cannot happen otherwise. Mm. Yeah, it's there's a big difference between unexamined anger or really unexamined emotion in any sense of the word, but the examining of it, the awareness of it, and then the work behind it is what transforms it. That's beautiful. I really love that. I I will end on this because I really loved seeing on your resources tab on your website that one of the first things you do with people is have them write a love letter to themselves, which I I love. (laughs) And I'm curious, if you were to write a love letter to yourself today, what would you feel like you needed to hear? Hmm. Thank you for this question and thank you for appreciating the love letter. It's funny because uh, I'm going, you know, I consume a lot of this work as well from other people and everyone these days is talking about the love letter and I'm like, oh, I wasn't crazy. Then it is the love letter. <laughs> Look, I, I, some people say it's cheesy and some people are like, oh, oh my God, the love letter. Are you crazy? And stuff like that. But for me, this deciding and really embracing that the source of love that I needed the most was loving myself and that that would have created and enabled everyone else's love towards myself. Like, mind you, I, I, I love to be loved by my daughters. I love to be loved by my husband and by my friends and all of it. But whenever I sit down and I journal and I, I repeat to myself how much I love what I'm doing, how much I love how people are transforming themselves thanks to these messages. And honestly, how much I love also my flaws and imperfections and my mistakes. I'm not perfect at all, very far from it. I I battle with a lot of mental challenges and I, I battle with a lot of things and it's okay. So the message that I continue to need myself and I continue to repeat and the love that I continue to reinforce when I write my own love letter is like, Nadia, you're doing so much and there's so many people that are grateful for what you're putting into the universe and keep going and think the things that I need will come uh, because I continue to manifest and require a lot of things that I still want. And I'm sure that they will come. I have no doubts that they will come with their own time and developing the, the presence in the moment and savoring it. 
I feel that a lot of time we're always looking for more. I am very ambitious. I'm a very driven person. I have Mars. Mm. I have Mars in Scorpio. When my astrologer told me this, I was like, okay, makes sense. <laughs> and so I'm not going to stay here waiting for things to come and, you know, drop from the sky. But I am going to lean with love and I'm going to continue to create and see what happens. I love that. It's funny, right, with astrology when you hear about certain parts of your chart. My 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 Mars is in Aries, which is also <laughs> like, Interesting watch one. out. <laughs> yeah yeah it's, everyone's like that makes a lot of sense I'm like uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense <laughs> but I, yeah I think that Mars and that Scorpio man that's a similar kind of energy right there we can be a little bit uh intense yeah just you know a little bit <laughs> <laughs> but I love it I'm so inspired by you just I love the message that you're putting out loved getting to chat thank you so much thanks for being here Well, thank you for the opportunity. You are truly fabulous and please continue doing this work. You as well. I will uh, send that right back to you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Have a nice day. You too. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Don't forget, subscribe. If you are one of the people that listen to our podcast and we actually got stats back, like 70% of you listen and you're not subscribed and it would just be the best gift to subscribe. So click that little button so that you can be a subscriber. You can be an innie at the Intercall podcast versus an Audi. Come be an innie at the Intercall podcast. So subscribe. We would really appreciate it so that we can bring more guests, bigger guests, guests you love. Thanks for being here.